Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery. I'm Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And we're here this week. If you pay any attention, it is the ninth month of the year, which means that eight months have gone by. No, it, it means we're on step nine. Uh, and so that's what we are going to get to. Um, it's been an awesome week. Billy got to celebrate his 20 years officially by sharing it at a meeting. Uh, and of course, I, you know, scooped in and recorded that and posted that <laughs> so that people could listen to it, not on this podcast, but it's, it's up. And if you follow us anywhere, you'll see the links I posted it because it's, it's a good share. It's fun to listen to. So congrats again to Billy. Awesome accomplishment, man. 20 years. Uh, I will get there one day. Thank you. And I don't know if you, so after I left the meeting, we all hung out. We had cake. I don't know if you heard this part. And when I was leaving, I crashed into somebody's car and put a big old dent in the side of my truck and really? smashed up the front corner of their car. And, oh, my yeah. God. So I was like, wow, what a terrible way to end <laughs> what seemed to be like a pretty good night. <laughs> What's, I, it's like so when things go well, it's like the cherry on top. This is like the cat turd on top yeah. or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, yeah, it was a there. I mean, and it was a reminder that you know life is life. Life it, is it, life, and I am not all good or all bad, you know. And mistakes happen. It was an honest mistake, and I wanted to be angry and blame. It was everyone else's fault. It wasn't my fault, oh, you know. Yeah. And everything else. And, oh, I'm good at that. You know, at the <laughs> end, it's just like you know what stuff happened, and it, it was an accident, you know, and the guys car I hit was, you know, he was super chill about it. He wasn't being a jerk or anything. It's somebody in my home group that I know pretty well. And, right. you know, we're just like, he's like, we don't have to turn it into insurance if you don't want. I'm like, nah, I mean, I'm not going to have the money to fix it. And then you're going to need a rental car. And he's, right. Whatever, you know. <laughs> so, Oh, my God. So maybe don't listen to Billy's message because yeah. it might crash. I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> that's... Well, I thought it was interesting after – after the message of like how much I struggle with like my beating myself up and holding myself to all these high standards yeah. and needing to be perfect all the time and then feeling like it went really well and getting a couple of compliments about how good the share was and then to go crash into somebody's car. It's just like, ah. And then God said, show me. Dose of humility. <laughs> show me how you live that shit, Billy. Yep. Uh, one of the things we didn't get, a, 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 the sound quality, just to apologize for last week's uh, audio quality we'll, we're still learning so you know we'll probably make that mistake again anyway but that's just who we are as people uh yeah. but we it did was... a recording in a different location and uh 
learned that it makes a humongous difference. <laughs> yeah, it made a huge difference. It sounded like we recorded in a bathroom doing each other's makeup or something. Um, but we did, uh, Jenny did say that, you know, one of the things, and I don't know how we didn't say this, and this is funny because Jenny's not even really from our program, even though she's heard it, I'm sure, somewhere along the way. But if you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you'll get a haircut. We didn't even mention this. We were talking yeah. about relapse, and that's just... One of the old cliches that I think is very, very relevant to that topic and probably very true. If I put myself in situations long enough, I tend to want to do those things that people are doing. I, I, I'm not going to hang around the pool hall all night and not want to get in a game of pool. Like yeah. And, and I've always thought, you know, I don't know how people can, you know, have jobs where they work around that stuff you know whether it's like a waiter or waitress at a bar Mm. or someone who's a bartender i mean i've heard of those people i've met them in recovery from time to time and uh just uh wow i think me personally would probably have to get a new job right and and i don't know if you know much about the the service industry but generally waiters and waitresses even if they're not around alcohol that is the environment of waitering and waitressing is alcohol drugs it seems to be very prevalent in that society so extra tough to be in that environment, I would agree. Uh, I don't know how people do it either. Um, we did get a message from Sarah, which I'm not going to get to right this second. Uh, she's on Instagram, and she she did appreciate your ayahuasca talk last week because she had had some similar thoughts or whatever. <laughs> but she got into a message with us that talked about her amends going south and not going well and what to do then. And so I do want to address that, but we're going to get into that as we talk. So, you know, with that out of the way, let's let's jump into it, man. Step nine we've made it this far in in recovery we are now on step nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others very interesting wording they have on that uh and, and you know we we often hear that we could be part of the others um and the wherever possible, not whenever possible, is an interesting word, too. And it could have just been that they wanted to sound profound. I don't know. <laughs> maybe old Bill was sitting somewhere and wanted to, you know, like, hey, let's make it wherever. Maybe maybe his fucking handwriting sucked. Maybe he wrote whenever, and they just he didn't finish the N, and it just looked like an R. Like, yeah. maybe, who the fuck knows? I would credit it to being written in the 1930s. That's probably it, too. Um, so how would we explain this for, for the, the normal, average, non-addict person? We try to do that. Sometimes, I think, with steps, we sort of forget to do that. But yeah. we, we intend to do that, usually. And I was thinking about this on the way here. Do people do this? Do people make amends in their life? I think we're a society of, I'm sorry, right? But from our understanding of the amends process, the sorry is not the entire amends. The sorry is like the half of it, or at least the first part of it. Yeah, I I can't specifically say there's an area in people's lives, you know, where I think normal people would do this. Um, I know just in saying that, the, like the way I would think about it for to explain it to people that aren't in recovery is that this is the time where we really take ownership of the harm that we've caused to our families, to our loved ones, to society, and try to you know, correct those wrongs. Um, it's not a time where we just run around and say a bunch of I'm sorry's and saying I'm sorry isn't the point of an amends, you know, and if someone does that and says they're making amends, they're not being straightforward or truthful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're feeding you some bullshit, you know, right. that, that the amends process is really taking ownership and responsibility for the things that we've done. 
I know for me as an addict, that was a struggle. You know, it was never my fault. It was always somebody else's fault. You know, it was the judge's fault, the cop's fault, the lawyer's fault, the my parents' fault. You know, whoever's fault it was. Um, and taking ownership and taking responsibility for that. You know, I I didn't have that ability when I was getting high. Well, that's like the old saying that people don't get fired for using drugs. They get fired for dirty urns. Right. Like, <laughs> it's not the fucking drugs fault. They were fine with that. It's the dirty urine that caused the problem. Um, I found it interesting how judgmental I was trying to figure out if normal people did this in my head. I kept going back and forth with like, normal people don't do nothing like that. They suck, right? They don't even care. And, and then I would realize, well... They do, but I think it's more of like they do this during childhood and and the teenage adolescent years. Like this is almost a step about change and growth, right? We're evaluating how we've affected other people with our self-centeredness. And after we evaluate it, we kind of say, oh, I don't like the way that feels. You know, I don't like the way it feels when I left my friend out and lied to them about a party we had. I should probably invite them next time. And like we amend our behavior and learn who we're going to be to guide us into adulthood. I think that's when regular people do this or, or the earthlings. And then we're just late to the fucking party because we're fucking up for so long, I guess. Well, and I would think most healthy adult, you know, quote unquote, normal people like are going to take responsibility and do these things as they happen. You know, if you're out cutting grass and you throw a rock through the neighbor's window, I mean, like nowadays, I would think I would walk over and knock on the neighbor's door and say, hey, look, you know, I was out mowing. I broke the window. I'm sorry. You know, what can we do to fix it? If I got to pay for the window or whatever, it's fine. And you just handle your business like an adult. As addicts, you know, I didn't do that. I was like, oh, fuck, I broke the window. I look around to see who saw. And if nobody was looking, I didn't do nothing. I don't know nothing about it. And I'm out of there. You know? Right, right. Well, and so I think healthy people tend to deal with things in the here and now they're not running from problems and then they don't have to necessarily go back over their history to see how many people they've scammed or taken advantage of <laughs> yeah i i would kind of agree but i i mean just judging by the the whole side eye little uh muppet meme or whatever it is where the guy kind of like glances off to the right and then glances forward again whenever somebody mentions something that, you know, sounds like something he would do, but he doesn't want to own it. I would say quite a few people will probably, if nobody's looking, if they'd have, if they'd have hit the car with your truck, right, and nobody saw it, I, I maybe half the people would drive away, maybe a little mm. less than half. Even if it's less than half, I'm saying it's still 20 or 30%, which is still a lot of fucking times. Like, that's a frequent. Right? Yeah. That's still one in five times that, that people aren't owning that. And, okay, so I I don't know. I, I buy into what you're saying. Like, if you throw a rock through somebody's window by accident, yeah, you're probably owning this. You might be doing the amends. But I think after our adolescent years and maybe even our young adult years, we still grow a little and change a little. But a lot of people get to an adult stage and get really set. We call it set in their ways, I guess. Um mm. uh, close-minded to other ideas and, and i don't see a lot of people later in life changing a whole lot in this kind of way uh in a way we would say talk about like with an amends process like i i would say you know 50 and 60 year old people and god i am really stereotyping and being judgmental here i'm sure <laughs> right but a lot of times, unless they're really working on something or they're in therapy or they have some kind of insight that, that their average person doesn't have, 
they're probably not changing their behavior with how they treat their wife or kids. Like they're probably pretty set in that behavior pattern. I think we have a process of steps where we are constantly reminded that we're dicks, honestly. Like I, I when I don't do anything for my life to try to get better, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a douchebag, right? I, I need to start doing things again. I don't know that other people have that. Maybe they just have better escapes. Like maybe they drink instead of working on themselves. Well, again, I, I as a so I believe most of my problem is that I'm an addict, and so I don't tend to believe. Like I tend to look at the I would call it the good in people. Mm. Um, and of course, when you look at if you're looking at all of society, I mean, obviously there's a percentage of people that are dicks or not good people or or whatever. Um, the truth is, I don't really aspire or want to look at them as my standard you know what i mean like like i don't want to look at the lowest possible option and say well that's a good standard to shoot for it's like no i want to shoot for people that are living like good moral spiritual um lives of value and meaning and purpose um so those are the people that i want to look to as an example of of what i hope our society is right um the other thing and this gets a little off topic, but I think we have a society now, at least in the United States, it's kind of, or at least in our local community specifically, that there's a lot of sick, hurting, damaged people in our society. Right. It's evident in the amount of addiction and domestic violence and neglect and abuse and the things that we see. Like those are all signs of trauma in your community mm-hmm. of people that aren't being raised in healthy good environments and that aren't getting the morals and values and things that they believe. They may not manifest in addiction in these people's lives, right. but that also doesn't make them healthy, normal people either. They're just damaged in other ways and it comes out in other areas of their life. Um, so back to the ninth step and, and what I would say like a normal people, like I always look at it as I'm the one that's behind the eight ball i'm the one that's messed up like normal people don't necessarily i mean it's it's always good for everybody to be a little self-reflective in their lives but i tend to believe that you know normal healthy people they're doing these things on a regular basis naturally they're already Mm. they've developed this skill in their normal growth and upbringing through whatever spiritual practices or conditionings that they're doing and that they're somewhat living this way on a day-to-day basis without having to do all this extra work that I have to do to catch up to them. Hmm. I just, I so disagree with that. (laughs) I'm picturing these, these people out here who are like staunch, whatever they are and their beliefs are right and everybody else is wrong and, and they don't mind hurting feelings to tell you about it. And they're not trying to amend any of that. They just keep pressing on thinking they, you know, hold the right flag and it's their right to be self-righteous, which I'm not trying to judge or put them down too much because I frequently walk around with my (laughs) self-righteous flag and and tell everybody how fucking wrong they are. Right. Like I'm, I get it. I'm not saying that I don't suffer from that as well. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't see the amends process going on in a lot of adult lives. And I'm sure we will catch flack about this from our non-addict listeners one side or the other. <laughs> Either they'll say you are way off or they'll say I am way off or maybe both. Well, I would definitely say if you're listening to 
you know, what I would call the news or social media or just seeing the, the public image, um, more specifically in like politics and stuff nowadays, like that's the way that they present this stuff. Mm. My personal experiences, I, I tend to be pretty liberal. I work with some people that are pretty conservative, Christians, you know, go to church, you know, Trump loving Americans, Howard, whatever. But this is the thing. We can sit down. I can sit down with them and have a conversation that's social or that's uh, amicable and respectful. And I can listen to their opinions and I can give them my opinions, try to give them some views on a, like a compassionate point of view. And most of the time when you're having a, a you know, conversation, not an argument, but just a conversation about these things, people are way closer on some of this stuff than you think. Now, if you listen to the news and social media and, and you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that, it feels like you're, you have to pick one of two sides, that there's this side and there's that side, and you got to get on whichever side of the line that there is and start arguing that point of view. And I think all that is terrible for all of us. Like that is causing a divide in people that I personally think is not it's it's being artificially highlighted and pushed and and so it's causing people to live their worst selves. <laughs> and and I no doubt I don't deny that at all. I uh, I would just say that I just don't see many people outside of people like you having those open, honest conversations and being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to hear people talk about stuff that they don't really believe in or think is right. Like I, I don't, most people, uh, you know, age old thing, you don't talk about religion or politics. <laughs> Why? Because people don't know how to fucking talk and have discourse and be civil and, and, you know, let somebody else have a different opinion. So, I mean, this has been going on. This is like a saying from the 1950s, at least as far as I know. So, I just don't see normal adults having those conversations, which means that they all just don't have the conversation. Then they go home and then they judge everybody else at, at work who they know believes different, but they aren't willing to have an open conversation with. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't know, but I don't want to get too hung up on that. Yeah. I just, I, I guess the amends process for, for an earthling is uh, start thinking about things you've never said you're sorry for or, or, you know, tried to make right. Uh, you know, one of the things, the, the three R's of the amends process is resolution, restoration, and restitution. Um, and that's something I heard along the way back down in Baltimore. I don't know if they've ever said that up here. I don't hear it all no. the time. But I think it, it just encompasses the, the point of what we're trying to do. We're trying to resolve any old situation. We're trying to pay back whatever it is we owe. Um and we're just trying to move forward. And, and like you always say, do no more harm. And this is kind of the step where we're trying to fix some of the old harms if we can, right? Put the band-aids where we can, do the best we can to, to rectify the actual situations. And then the other half of the amends is changing ourselves to not cause those situations again. And uh, I, I don't know. I guess it, it, I think it's hard because in our program, it's very specific to us to like, Hey, dude, stop listening to your brain tell you how wrong this other person was to you and how justified you are in what you did and just handle what you did, right? And I don't know that anybody in the in the earthling realm does that. 
Like, dude, I think I, it, it's hard for, I don't want ever really want to do it. I want to hold on to whatever somebody did to me. I am ready to crucify them and they deserved it. They earned it. Right. Like, so yeah, I would say my experience with church, those are lessons that you learn in at least Christian churches that I've been to. I went to Catholic church for a long time growing up and, and in some non-denominational churches as an adult. And in some of those religious teachings, that's it's explained a little differently, but I think the concept's the same. It's that kind of, uh, in the Bible, they talk about, you know, stop pointing out the splinter in the other person's eye when there's a log in your mm-hmm. eye and people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, hey, you need to be focusing on yourself and your responsibilities and what you do wrong and stop looking at what everyone else does wrong. Um, so I've heard it kind of explained that way through religious context, but I haven't, I, I can't think of specifically, I believe in recovery, we take it a step further where we say not just don't look at the splinter in someone else's eye, but now, you know, do the work that it takes to fix the wrongs that mm. you've caused. Like, I think that's a, that's an extra piece on that that you know recovery uh, yeah. emphasizes that's a big emphasis of recovery as a disclaimer my my talks of earthlings is very limited <laughs> I, I tend to pick one specific type of earthling when i'm thinking about it and that might be the guy who's like not giving a fuck at all about anything mm-hmm. and just being self-centered or on any other given day it might be the guy who you know is really heavily involved in his spiritual growth somehow <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I can't encompass that, like, there's a full spectrum of people out here, right? When you mm. say people who go to church and there's lessons in church, I'm like, there are lessons in church. I'm like, but nobody fucking goes to church, right? What is there, like, <laughs> is there, like, 10 people in a church service each Sunday and, you know, 10,000 people sitting home not in church? Like, I don't... To me, it just seems like nobody goes to church. I don't know. Maybe wow, they do. I'm, I'm not there. I'm going to take you to some of these new, like these new non-denominational oh, churches. the big ones where the big, yeah. playing acoustic oh, man, guitars they got, and stuff. Yeah, there's... Two services, and there's a couple hundred in each one. Mm. Or like when we were in, especially when we were in South Carolina, they have those. I mean, we saw a couple of those mega churches. And when I say mega church, it's a church that holds ten thousand people. And there will be, I mean, on any given Sunday when you ride by, it almost looks like a, a small football stadium full of cars. It's full of people in wow. that church. Awesome. Now I can't swear that they're all getting great things out of it because I <laughs> tend to think the people that run those mega churches are egomaniac narcissist money grubbers but <laughs> but they're using the bible to say a bunch of good stuff so hopefully right. some people can sort through the shifty shady snake oil salesman and hear the good <laughs> lessons that might be there so so hopefully we've not offended <laughs> everyone too <yeah>. many right <laughs> Hopefully we didn't offend everybody. Uh, so the point of step nine, uh, made direct amends. You know, we, we become willing in step eight. We see these wrongs. And I think the real goal in nine is that we become ready because we're we're so tired of hurting people. And we're so sick and tired of the way we feel about the harms we've done. And so now we're ready. And, and then it says, we you know... We go out and make these amends. Um, I did write down uh, quite a bit of the the readings that I thought were nice. One, we want to be free of our guilt, but we don't wish to do so at the expense of anyone else. Um, and so that always pops up in my head because 
the first thing I want to do immediately when I've done something wrong is just go confess because that feels good, right? right. Confession. Um, but I have definitely done this in my life and caused more harm because it wasn't really for that person to know. I was definitely relieving my guilt and feeling free. And then they felt worse after I did it. And, you know, of course, it was times I didn't talk with anybody about it first. I just ran and did it because I felt bad and I wanted to feel good because that's how my addiction works. I feel bad. Now I want to feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think we all have at least heard, if not had our own experience with that. You know, we get into recovery, we start recognizing some harms that we've caused we run into an old person that we haven't Mm. seen for a while before we're in position for a ninth step and we try to make some amends that doesn't go well you know i had an experience like that even after hearing that story a bunch of times (laughs) and knowing that you know all the cliche the steps are written in order for a reason Mm. and you know we need to Mm. learn all these other things before we get to that step and recognizing you know what's going to cause harm and i still did the same thing, you know, ran into a old girlfriend at a thing and said, well, I'm probably never going to see this person again, so I might as well say this stuff, and it went weird. It wasn't bad. It, I, I didn't, I don't believe I caused any more harm, but it definitely did not go as I had thought it would in my head. Like, I thought I'm going to say these nice things. It's going to relieve some pain that I had caused and all this, and it was just weird and awkward, and it was weird for her and you know it's like it just right. was like oh gosh how did i do this like i know better and yet i did it anyway i same here i worked the steps out of order uh my first time through and <laughs> i had like six months and and right before i had you know gotten myself together or gotten together through the program or, or through a higher power however you want to say it i don't like to take too much credit for it um but i had i had stolen some stuff from my father and I had like six months and I was like, man, I can't, I'm just going to tell them about it. I feel bad about it. And I got six months now. I felt like I was like, you know, you know, they talk about the pink cloud. I was riding high. I was like, God, he's so, his pride of me having six months clean and having his son back will totally outweigh his missing shit. And uh, that is not the case. He was still upset about yeah. it. And I was not ready to face that upsetness. And I think that's another part of working these in order. It's not just that we're prepared to do it in the right way and coming from the right place. Like hopefully when I'm making an amends in step nine, it's not out of a place of relieving my guilt only. It's out of a place of, I want to do the right thing because I've caused harm. I wasn't trying to do the right thing. I wasn't trying to repay him for the stuff I took or buy it again. I was just trying to get it off my chest. And, uh, but also the other part of step nine is that I'm ready to deal with those kind of consequences when people aren't ready to hear my amends or or don't care, right? They don't feel bad about it at all or sorry for me or want to continue any kind of relationship. I'm I'm not ready for that when I haven't worked the steps up until then yet. Right. And the real harm for me and my disease isn't, I mean, yes, there's harm in the actions that I do, the using and the lying and manipulating. But I think the the true harm comes from just my self-centeredness, my lack of being able to see or take responsibility for how the things that I do cause harm to other people. And it's like yeah. in that case, you know, when it, once I work through the steps, I start to realize like, oh, shit, I have a responsibility for how the things that I do affect the people around me more so than just the missing, like say, more so than just the missing stuff. But is this going to cause more harm to go and admit that I 
took this stuff. Right, especially you know? before I'm willing to do anything about it. Like right. I, I didn't want to do the actual amends part of replacing it or <laughs> right. or any of that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I would have to 100% agree with you. At that point in time, I was not still looking at how I affected other people. I was just looking at I don't feel good. I want to feel better. It's very cavemanish. Like very, me feel good now. Well, in <laughs> like, the realm of self-centeredness, like it, you understand what all those cons. Like you understand. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. You know, well, you think you understand what make amends means. Really, you think it just means saying you're sorry and admitting what you did was wrong. And yeah, I did this; it was wrong, and I'm sorry. Right. You know, good. I'm, I'm good now. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> and probably, in all sincerity, as many times as I probably said that in my life, um, I probably meant it most of the time. I don't think I ever said it with no uh, sincerity. But I didn't have the ability to follow through until I got into recovery and and learned some more principles yeah absolutely uh another thing out of the book that i thought was just you know good to mention we recommend turning our legal problems over to lawyers and our financial or medical problems to professionals part of learning how to live successfully is learning when we need help i think that's crucial uh often we turn excuse me before recovery at least i know uh and and not everyone is going to have this experience but if you've ever gotten arrested and you end up in, you know, any sort of jail or, or, you know, detainment for any sort of time, there's people in there telling you what's going to happen at court with your charges. Well, this is how much you're going to get. Well, if you see this specific judge, you might get double that. Well, if you tell them this, you'll get half of that. Like, you know, they call them jailhouse lawyers. And, And these guys do have a lot of experience with the legal system, not denying them that. Um, and they might be onto something, but I think a lot of times we tend to not seek out the professional, uh, you know, suggestions for these areas. We've talked about this when we talked about mental health and people in our program can give mental health advice about whether people should be on medicine or not. Like, that's none of their fucking business. Right. But frequently, and I'm probably guilty of this, too. I'm not trying to put anybody in a box. People in our program or in any program, we do tend to have answers, even when we don't or shouldn't have answers, right? Uh, I, it's possible I've given people legal advice or, or medical advice when I had no business doing that. I'm not a legal or medical professional. Um, and so I just think it's a good reminder to all of us. Sponsees, don't listen to any fucking legal or medical advice from non-professionals. And sponsors, remind yourself, don't give that advice because it's none of your business. Yeah, if you don't know, you know, maybe make a suggestion that they talk to a professional. <laughs> I always tend to think I know. That's the problem. I think I know, too. Um, well, and there's some, I mean, there's some reasons for that. So obviously lawyers aren't cheap, you know what I mean? And for a lot of us, you know, it's like, well, do I want to spend this hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars to try to get this cleared up? Or do I want to just think I can handle it on my own? I can go read a couple Google articles. I can, you know, talk to a couple people and, and get it, get it taken care of and whatever. I mean, at least my experience in the legal, uh, world, it's like, unfortunately, uh, sometimes just paying the lawyer and the connections that they have and they know the prosecutor or the judge or the probation officer right. and they can go work some deal when they're having lunch one day that you could never get on your own. I mean, that's the way the world works there, at least in my experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no, it definitely yeah. does. It definitely does. Um, we try to remember that when we make amends, we are doing it for ourselves. I think this is a, a key point and we kind of 
brought this up in step eight, that this was really about us. And, and it almost blew my mind when we had that revelation last month. I guess it's not as much of a revelation this month since it already happened once, but it's still, it's something I forget when I'm doing this step, right? I think step eight and nine are about other people. It's about fixing the harm I've caused in their life. But while my attempt is to fix the harm I caused, the outcome of fixing the harm I'm caused is not what I'm looking for. It's really just the fact that I'm doing the work to try to be a better person. Like that's the outcome I'm looking for. Whether their harm can ever be fixed or not by me or anyone else isn't any of my business. Uh, and that's just interesting to me. Like I go into eight and nine thinking, oh man, I got to right the world, right? Yeah. I got to go fix all these people. And it's not even about that, right? It's just about doing my best to try to be a good guy, basically. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for me, the the there's an indirect benefit to living spiritual principles. You know, there's an indirect benefit to the rest of the world. Um, I get some immediate benefits because of how I feel and, you know, living by these morals and values and the, the peace that comes over my spirit being, you know, a person living with some morals and values. But then there's a direct or indirect benefit to my kids, my wife, you know, people that I interact with, people on my job, um, the guy that, I, you know, like say, the, the guy that I might have caused harm to that didn't even know that then I took ownership of and, and took responsibility for, like those people benefit indirectly. And it's just so weird to hear it that way because I always look at it the opposite way completely. I'm always like, oh, my God. My higher power is going to use me as this fucking savior to directly help all these other people. <laughs> and then indirectly, I'll feel better. <laughs> and it's not how it works at all. It's, it's the complete fucking opposite. It's, it's actually, I directly can, you know, I'm able to change some things in me and do better in me. And you're right. All these other people around me indirectly benefit from that because I'm not terrorizing their lives anymore. And it, it, it's just – I don't. it's funny how I look at it backwards. Well, yeah, and it's the flip side of looking at, you know, I am responsible for keeping my side of the street clean. You know what I mean? Like it's easy to say that in an argument, but that also applies in the rest of my life too. Like mm. I'm still – I'm responsible for keeping my side of the street clean. I'm, I'm responsible for the way I'm living and what I'm doing and, and being the best version of myself. And, I mean, there might be some people that don't like that, you know? There might be right. some people that, that – don't care that you're a person that lives by morals and values anymore, you know. I can tell you how that works right now. If you don't believe that people will not like you for living morals and values, we got here today and Billy said, man, I listened to my share just to see how it sounded. And I, I really think all of a sudden out of nowhere, I felt like I cussed too much and I want to cuss less. And me, who does not want to cuss less, did not want him getting better. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't get better. Then I'll feel bad about myself. So that's how that works. Um so, yeah, uh, and what we're talking about, the next line, um, or maybe not the next line of the book, but the next line I have was, we are achieving freedom from the wreckage of our past. And and I think that's kind of the goal. Um, we don't want to carry around this guilt. We don't want to live with the, the thoughts at night. You know, there's all kind of memes about, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning and your brain's talking about the thing you did wrong in third grade and blah, blah, blah. And, and that is, a I think, a very earthling thing that we do is we relive these, you know, what we call it is resentment, right? When we're reliving a past experience over and over again. 
Uh, and we don't want to do that. And this can give us the freedom to that, right? This can give me the freedom to not only not have to think about the times that I didn't show up for my family and the family reunions and this, that, and the other, but also the freedom to go to the next family reunion because I went to the one last year finally. Like, I didn't just keep avoiding it, right? Now I've went, I've made my amends, and I'm still in the process of doing that by continuing to show up, even though it might not be the funnest or most convenient thing on my list every holiday season. Yeah. So before we go any further, let's go ahead. I, I don't even know how long we've been, but let's go ahead and take our break. We'll do our voices ad and then we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, getting back to it. And I think one of the things we definitely need to address is the cliffhanger we left everyone with uh, after step eight. And so basically... There was no real, I didn't quote the question here. We, we listened to it again this morning to see what it meant. Basically, Billy comes across to me, and, and this is a judgment, of course. I'm not trying to box him in. But he comes across as more of a hands-off sponsor in the sense that he doesn't like giving direct advice or guidance a lot of times. At least that's how I get when you talk about sponsorship. That's how it feels to me. I, I could be off. But this step I've always heard of as, your sponsor really needs to be involved in the ways you make amends and if you are supposed to make amends in any given situation. So if you write down these 50 harms you've caused and you're ready to make amends, it's almost like your sponsor is really supposed to go through and like, hey, cross those 15 out. Uh, and then these 10, you're not going to do it the way you said it. We need to do it this other way because it looks like you're probably going to cause harm that way. And it's interesting because, I mean, every sponsor is going to look at that in a different way and see different things in it. Some are going to say one is not okay to make amends that way. Some will say it's fine. But what is your take on that? Are you more hands-off on the step nine or, or do you have more input here? Is this the one step where you say, yeah, I need to, you know, stop this guy from harming people and himself? Um, I'm definitely the more hands – I don't say hands-off, but I'm definitely the – Less my opinion, more their opinion. Hmm. Um, and I tend to approach all sponsorship in that way. And I don't, I, you could box me into that. I myself take it as kind of a compliment. Like, <laughs> and, and I'll say to people a lot of times when I sponsor them, like, look, my job isn't to like get you to think like me or be my protege or any of that stuff. Like, you're going down a road, you're going down a path. And my only job is to make sure you don't veer off into left field off of your path down some dangerous path but it's your path and it's your journey and what you get out of this process of the steps and recovery is going to be a direct result of the work that you put into it um 
I'm not trying to give you what I have. I'll share with you my opinions and beliefs and values, but it's up to you to figure out your own values, beliefs, opinions, you know what I mean, all those things. You're your own person. Um, and I think that's true for how we apply spiritual principles in our lives. Um, the couple of times, so I've sponsored a couple guys through the 12 steps who've done ninth, eighth and ninth steps. I've done eighth and ninth step um, twice. So all my experience has been I kind of let the individual, you know, figure out. Obviously, at that point, we figured out what all the amends that need to be made are. Mm -hmm. And then I let them figure out, okay, what kind of amends do you want to make? Why do you think that? And then unless it's way off somewhere, unless it's, you know, really crazy, I pretty much let them go with that. I mean, we talk about why. We talk about if there's harms there, what those harms could be. Maybe some harms that they didn't think of or didn't see from outside perspective. It is sometimes to, easier to kind of look at some of that. Um, but I wouldn't feel like it was my place to either talk someone into making a certain kinds of amends or talk them out of making a certain kinds of amends. Interesting. Super interesting. Because I've just heard so many different things over time. Um, one of the things I found interesting, I remember talking to somebody about... You know, if you have stepped outside of your, your marriage or your relationship at one point, right? And we were having a discussion and I said, well, you, you can't go tell the person if they don't know about it already because that's causing more harm. And their take on that was, and this was a totally independent take, and it was my friend Bobby and I love her to death, right? So I, I don't say it's wrong or right or indifferent, but her take was, if you're going to stay with the person, they have the right to know. They need to know. If you're not staying with them, you're right. You know, if you're broken up, yeah, you probably don't go back and, and cause more harm. But if you are going to be there, you need to tell them. My take, you don't fucking tell them. <laughs> right? like, and, and I don't know, right? I don't know which one of those is right or wrong. or, But I, I, I think everybody's got their own take on that kind of idea. And so it, it's interesting to, to think that, you know, I don't know. I've always thought sponsors needed more say. I will say a situation I ran into at one point. Uh, this was probably, I don't know, two years ago, a year ago. I felt really bad about something I did. I don't know, maybe eight years ago or so. I, I interacted with a lady. I, I kind of had an affair. I even, at one point, my wife and I were split. And, and I still just wasn't proud of the way I had treated this woman, right? And for whatever reason, a couple years ago, it seemed like enough distance had passed and I was just, I was really feeling this, this process of recovery and the step. And I, and I was like, man, I, I really would like to try to make an amends to this person, right? I would like to try to repair some of this harm I've caused because I know I did harm and I just don't feel good about it. Seemed like it was from the most spiritual place I have in me, right? And I talked with a guy, a buddy of mine, and, I, and we talked a little bit about it. And he's like, it's a really dangerous proposition when we're talking about the relationship aspects and, and people we've been intimate with because we never know if we're going to cause more harm he's like are you prepared to not cause more harm if you go in there you make this amends and then she makes you an offer right to be intimate again are you prepared to not do more harm in that situation and i had to really think about that and my first reaction was i would never do that right I, I'm, <laughs> this is really coming from my heart and it was it was truly from my heart it was from the best place i have in me to do the right thing and when i sat on it for like three or four more days 
I realize I would have done more harm if she'd offered, right? Now, could I have gone in a situation and, and, and her not been interested in me anymore and done the right thing? Yeah, I believe so. But that wasn't the point. The point he was making was you're setting yourself up for a situation that you can't get out of without hurting people more, right? right. And without reopening wounds. And I just thought, I don't know, it's things like that. I need, I think, guidance from outside of me. I, I can't really just be left alone to my own. My own thinking said that was the right thing to do. And had I done it, I don't think it would have been the right thing to do, or at least not the right time. Right. So I would say in, in those two situations, the harm being the, the key thing to think about there. Um, first, you had talked about, you know, the person in the marriage, your friend, you know, and, and if you would divulge an affair to someone in a mm-hmm. marriage or outside of marriage and whether I don't know whether that's right or wrong either. What I would say is that depends on your what you believe in honesty and how much you think honesty is important in your relationship. And, you know, where do you put honestly, you know, honesty in your value chart, if you want to call it your chart. And, uh, you know, that would be a personal decision that you would have to make. Because let's just say that I say, oh, no, you need to be honest in your relationship. You owe it to that person to be honest. Then you go tell your spouse and they fucking leave you. You know what I mean? Then it's like I would turn around to my sponsor and go, dude, you told me to fucking be honest and now my wife's leaving me. Like, what the fuck? Because you just convinced me to do something that was outside of my values and beliefs. The flip side of that, of what you're talking about with your situation is, you know, oh, and and back to that one for a minute. Like, that's not my responsibility as a sponsor. At least I don't believe my responsibility as a sponsor is to tell you what your values and beliefs should be. It's up to you to figure out. We can talk about that either way. And and if that came up with a sponsor or a sponsee, the conversation would probably go very much like that. Well, where do you rank honesty in your marriage? Where do you... Where do you want to put that? Do you put that up at the top of the list? Then you need to come clean with it and be honest about it and figure out what you can do to stay out of that situation. You know, Do you think the harm that it's going to cause is going to outweigh the value of that honesty? Then maybe not. You know, I don't know, but there's going to be, there may be repercussions that come with that later too. What if she finds out without you telling her? What if it comes up? What if this person reaches back out to you in some way? You know, Lots of things to think about. But ultimately, it's your decision. Um, And I think it's the same thing with the relationship you just talked about. As a sponsor, it's important for me to address, like, hey, there's some potential harms here, Mm. you know. But ultimately, it's your decision on whether, you know, you want to weigh out those harms. You know, maybe they could have said that and and you could have came up with some really tactful or respectful ways to turn down an offer or, or whatever. I mean doesn't mean you wouldn't necessarily have done it. It just means you would have put more consideration into that decision to make sure that you weren't causing more harm. Right. So one of the things it said in our literature, and this is a little bit of a longer reading, it says, we realize we not only robbed ourselves of the chance for meaningful relationships, we also caused deep emotional wounds in our partners. Our fears of intimacy or commitment may have led us to use, be unfaithful to, or abandon the people who loved us. We were generally unavailable to these people. While there are times when we need to approach such people with our amends, there are other times when it is best to leave them alone so as not to reopen old wounds. Knowing the difference requires complete honesty on our part and open communication with our sponsor. 
Whether or not we make direct amends to the people we've harmed in relationships, we definitely need to change the way we behave in our relationships today. If we ran from intimacy before, we need to sit down and learn to communicate with our partners. We must become more considerate, sensitive, and attentive to the needs of others. And so I, you know, I don't know. I, there were a couple points. It's funny. Every time I, I feel like I found some literature when I'm reading, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going to prove my point to Billy tomorrow, right? <laughs> and then, like, when I do read it or we talk more about it, it's like, well, it doesn't really say anything specific. All our literature kind of leaves <laughs> shop for interpretation, yeah. right? Um, I don't know. I, I guess for me, I, I would say I am definitely not as guidance free. I don't give any sponsees or anybody direct. Well, no, that's not true. I give my kids directions. Like they need to fucking listen for sure. My kids, that's a little different, even though it shouldn't be, but uh, I'm not there yet. Um, but I don't give my sponsees any like, oh, you have to do it this way or you must do it that way. But I I would say I probably lean in a little stronger one way or the other when I see something that, that needs to be, that I think is really out of the way, right? Um, and not so much, uh, I, I don't know, I can't think of any specific situation where that would apply, right? But I, I definitely just feel like I would have a little more well, emphasis. I, and for me, I always, with, with sponsorship in any area, and this is just another one, it's like, I even though I have some experience and some knowledge or you know some uh, lived experience with the steps I'm not the all-seeing eye either like I may miss a harm that's going to be caused or a you know a, a, another way to make an amends that might be better like I don't have all the answers I don't I don't even know all the questions right. you know? <laughs> so how am I supposed to have all the answers right uh, another thing it says in our, our book, we accept that it was our actions that caused our negative attitude. Step nine helps us with our guilt and helps others with their anger. Sometimes the only amend we can make is to stay clean. And so I think, you know, that's useful for people, especially, I guess, maybe the reason I made that, that amends at six months or attempted to make that I'm sorry mm -hmm. apology at six months was because I was just, I wanted to do something. I wanted to fix things. And maybe if I just knew, hey... Just doing what the fuck you're doing every day is already starting this process, right? You're going to feel a lot freer by the time you even get to nine. Yeah, there'll be some more specific ways that you go about, you know, actually paying these people back or, or trying to repair harm. But right now, you're doing amends. You can feel good about that. And maybe, like, somebody needed to tell me that or I needed to hear it or learn it. or So I didn't rush out there to try to make an amends the, another way. Right. And there's all these indirect harms that come from our using to our community, to the, you know, let's just say to the all the times that I had to interact with law enforcement and waste society's tax money dealing with my, you know, bull crap of running around, you know, using and petty crime and all that other stuff, you know. And right. so the best thing I can do there is stay clean, you know, have a job and pay taxes. <laughs> like, right, you know. right. So I guess if I'm working under the table, I'm still a burden. That's <laughs> funny, though, because, look, uh, if paying taxes is an amends, I would still run around and complain about the amends all the time. They take too much <laughs> of this money. Like, no, they probably deserve all of that money. I probably wasted so much of their resources, but I can't even do an amends without complaining about it. Uh, and, and this is part of the reason why, this next thing. This desire to make amends should be the primary motive for working the ninth step. Making amends isn't something we do simply because our program of recovery suggests it. And I will tell you, as a matter of fact, my first time through the 12, 
It was completely because that's what I was supposed to do. It had nothing to do with really wanting to make amends to people. Yeah, and I, I thought that earlier when you said that uh, uh, there was a – and I forget how you said it, but it was like, yeah, we want this genuine freedom from these, you know, feelings and all this stuff. And I thought, no way. Like I didn't want any of that. If if I could have, if I felt like I could have successfully done this without ever making amends, I would have hung on to the guilt and shame and embarrassment <laughs> to avoid the uncomfortable – Ness for me of going out and being intimate and vulnerable and taking responsibility for some of the shit that I had done. It would have been Super way easier awkward. to just live with the guilt. <laughs> Super <laughs> awkward. It is. So, yeah. Even with people that we're intimate with already, it's still awkward to like, uh, so hey, I uh, I need to make some amends. Like, it's just <laughs> right. weird to fucking bring up. This is how I'd like to do it. Is that acceptable to you? Um, yeah. So here, I think, might be where we get to to Sarah's question. Uh, This says, we must let go of any expectations we have on how our amends will turn out and leave the results to the God of our understanding. It is very important that we do our absolute best to make amends. Once we have done that, however, our part is finished. And I think, uh, you know, what she talked about, she didn't get into the the very specifics of it. She did mention that the person she was making the amends to was an ex-partner, which, you know, we kind of already established that, like, the relationship and intimacy wounds are a little trickier. Um, and, And also, I believe she mentioned that they were still in active addiction, which... I don't know how that amends. Like, I'm never going to accept anybody's apology. If you come to me while I'm still using, you still, like, I'm just going to think about how you owe me still. Well, right. no, that's great that you're sorry, but you got 20 bucks. Right. Yeah. I'm going to think of how you, to manipulate yeah. that. <laughs> can you take me back and let me move in? Because I don't right. have anywhere to stay, really. Like, you should really just pay for all my drugs. Yeah. That's if you feel bad enough. So I, I don't. I guess those factors already lead me to believe that that's probably not going to go too well. And maybe even as a sponsor, if she if she would have approached me with this, um, that's somewhere I might say, hey, wherever possible probably means wait till that person's in a place where they can really accept it. Like we kind of separate ourselves from the world when we're using, right? That's our, our shutoff mechanism for coping. Like we don't feel. And so if we're really trying to amend harm, people need to be able to feel that. So if they're still using, I might suggest, hey, that's probably not a place you need to try to make an amends. Wherever possible means if they get clean or, or, or you know, just don't do that to other people, whatever it is that you did. So, I, again, I don't have the specifics, but what right. would you say about amends that goes south? I think for me it's like a lot of that going south is the preparation we do. We prepare for, like, this could go great or this could go terrible, and it's it's not up to me. Like, I don't really need to do anything if it goes south. I've done my part. I I really love that it says once we've done our absolute best to make the amends, that's that's it. Like, we don't do anymore. Yeah, that's all. I mean, that says it best. That's all (laughs) we can do is take responsibility for my part, own it, and, you know, give that to the other person. And whatever they do with it is up to them. They might cuss me out, tell me I'm terrible, tell me they don't care. You know, never want to talk yeah. to me again. And uh, I'm sure I may still feel bad. Obviously, I think most of us go into this. At this point, if if you've worked the steps and gotten to a point where you recognize that you cause people harm and that how bad it feels to hurt others, um, you certainly hope that what you're going to do is going to be healing to those other people as well. So obviously, it's not going to feel great. And I don't think... 
I wouldn't say that it's okay to just be like, well, I did my part and screw them and it doesn't matter. Like, I think you still may feel bad. Like, this isn't about feeling good. It's it's not about, you know, oh, I get to get rid of my guilt and now I can feel this elation because I've done this great thing. And look at me, you know, now I'm a martyr and, right. and all that. It's like, no, you you still cause some harm and it should still, there should still be, I don't know what you want to call it, like a negative attachment to that behavior, a negative attachment to that harm. Yeah, I know you've said on here before that like actually not feeling good about the way we acted is part of why we don't do it the next time. Right. It's part of the amends process is knowing, oh man, I definitely feel like shit after I, I do those kind of things. Let me not do that this next time. Yeah. Or um, the humility and embarrassment or any of that that comes with that making that amends like, right like that's powerful feelings of like wow you know I, and and we should like say i i try to recognize like i should feel shame over those things that i've done i mean i shouldn't beat myself up about it or you know keep myself up at night feeling all the shame and guilt but i shouldn't just be like well it's water under the bridge it doesn't matter anymore it means nothing now like no i caused i still caused that harm yeah, I, I, so I, in this day and age, like if I make an amends now, not to say that it wouldn't affect me if somebody uh, reacts negatively to it. Like I think it still does. It just affects me a little different. I, mm-hmm. I kind of internalize it a little differently. Still doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't feel yeah. good when somebody reacts shittily. Like, I, bro, I just approached you fucking kindly and humbly and asked for your, you know, acceptance mm-hmm. or amends process and you're shitting all over me, right? Like, but I, I remember early on, I guess, trying to make some of these amends. And, and I think, you know, I was making them everywhere at that point. It was like, oh, man, the cashier at Royal Farms when I stole a pack. Like, just all kind of shit. And I remember having some that weren't accepted so well. And just that, ugh, feeling like that punch to the gut for days. Like, well, now what the fuck? I'll never heal. But I think even after that, like, it does kind of pass. And you're like, okay, well... It felt shitty that they didn't take, you know, accept my apology, but I do feel better for having tried. Like, right. I, I feel that was the goal for me to feel better, and, and I do. So, yeah. And, you know, it gets back to one of the things I've learned meditating in the last couple of years. It's, it's that old, like, when I was using, I thought every day was supposed to feel, I thought I was supposed to feel good all the time. You know, yeah. I thought I needed to feel good all the time. And... Life isn't always about feeling good, you know. There's sadness and pain and loss and, you know, these all these other feelings that are encompassed in life. And I don't need to run from them, you know. I don't need to avoid them. I don't need to, to you know, think that they're bad or put this label on them that there's something wrong if I'm sad. Like sometimes I'm just sad. Sometimes it's just not a great day. I mean, obviously, we don't want to stay there for days and weeks at a time, but you know what I mean? If my dog dies and I'm sad for a couple of days over that, that's okay. You know, right. like if I hurt someone that I love, you know, even by an accident, like it's it's normal. It's okay to be like, man, that sucks. You know, I don't like when I do that. I don't like being that way. And to kind of to, to take ownership of those feelings and to, to – recognize like yeah not every day is going to be great <laughs> i don't know you sound like my therapist it gets in my nerves though. she's like man you gotta accept that some days are blah and you're gonna feel a little down and you know, a little dysthymia and all that and i'm like ah fuck all that i want to feel better like tell me yeah. something good <laughs> so sometimes we're gonna go make these amends and it's maybe not even gonna go the way that 
we wanted or it's not going to come out the way that we wanted or and, and I'm sure I don't know if I've had the experience like you think about something and you write it out and you think it's going to be great and then when you say it out loud it's like huh didn't kind of come out the way that I thought it should <laughs> you know right. it wasn't so emotional and impact we're both going to be crying and it's going right. to be this big thing and then it happens and it's like a weird awkwardness to it that's like our <laughs> podcast every week <laughs> like this is going to be great and then we talk and it's like nah it's yeah. alright and uh you know, like that's that's life. You know, yeah. that's life. And so, thankfully, I, I kind of prepped Sarah that there was not going to be any great answer for this. I had a feeling there was, and I was excited that she like preemptively knew it was step nine. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, it, "There's no great answer. We probably won't help you a whole lot." So, what to do when an amends goes south? Nothing. Right. That's what and, I say. <laughs> and I think where it helps again, this is work that we do for the ongoing parts of our life. So. You know, right before the break, I kind of had a brain failure there, and we were talking about um, that reliving of past experiences again and again in our life. And I had a similar, you know, experience to that, you know, coming up to my anniversary and thinking of all the things I'm going to say or want to say, and then starts down that road of, you know, thinking of the harms and the person that I was before I got clean, and then I'm thinking of, like, individual instances of times where I've, you know either, you know, not been happy with myself or hated myself or hated the person I was or acted a certain way. And uh, as a result of recovery, like I've dealt with, I think, almost all of those. I think there was one thing I'm like, oh, I need to add that to an amends list. Like that's Mm -hmm. something I never really thought about needing to owe an amends for. And I do need to add that to an amends list. But the difference was there was points in my life where I would have been stuck with those thoughts and not known what to do with them or how to deal with them. And I'd have laid there and rolled them around in my head for hours just feeling guilt, shame, embarrassment, isolation. And, you know, it, it would have left me in like a really depressive state. And, you know, now I can say, well, most of these things like, look, you've you've addressed this, you've dealt with this, you've done the best that you could to make peace with this. Stop doing this to yourself. Mm. Like, and that's the freedom that comes with that. It's not that I'll never think about it again or I'll never feel guilt from it again or it'll never come up with a bad feeling in my heart. It's that when that comes up, I can say to myself, no, wait a minute, you've taken responsibility for that, you've owned that, and you've done the best that you can to make that better. Interestingly that you frame it in that way, I think Sarah's first uh, interaction with us was right after the Freedom episode, and her response was she had just written her first amends to an ex, and seeing the freedom from those patterns in her behaviors with you know romantic partners felt a whole lot like freedom to her at that point in time. And so I would say her own uh, response right there is probably her answer, right? Like, don't do anything when the outcome of this amends is that it went south or, or maybe it didn't work out so well when you did it. Don't really do anything to change this, but learn from it. Learn the things about it, like were you not prepared enough for it to go bad and you could stay detached from it? Did you get too emotionally involved and then you got caught up in an argument, whatever it was? But through that learning process, you won't have to relive this experience in your amends process ever again, right? You'll have the freedom the next time you make an amends to not get caught up in it and go south. And so I think just working this recovery program and doing what you're doing right now, which is continuing the process and learning as you go, is the answer, right? I think you're going to find the ways to not have to get caught up in those kind of 
amends going south and find that freedom. Yeah, or if you can break some of these patterns and change some of your behaviors, like maybe it's an amends that just goes beyond this individual and carries over into future relationships or future boyfriends yeah. and things like that. It doesn't need to be narrowly focused on this one person. Right, and the freedom she's experiencing from the relationship patterns is already part of that amends, right? right. When you're not caught up, you're not going to be... T uh, treating other people that same way either right bringing a better version of yourself into future relationships absolutely oh here's another section that proved me right billy Damn it. <laughs> uh whenever possible we discuss each of our amends with our sponsor before we set out to make it we tell our sponsor what we are making amends for what we are planning to say and what we intend to offer to set the situation right what we intend to offer as amends should be appropriate to the harm we caused for instance if we borrowed money from someone and never paid it back we don't merely apologize, we pay the money back. We talk directly to the person we harmed and amend exactly what we did wrong. How do you yeah. unfuck other people? <laughs> no, and so I I mean I guess it just says we run it by our sponsor, right? It doesn't really say that our sponsor needs to tell us what to do. Right, right. Maybe it's just like we as sponsors need to really be aware that that even with the best intentions, sometimes these aren't seen very clearly from being inside of it. Oh, for sure. And that's where, like, and and with that, I have, I mean, every guy that I've sponsored, we've went over each amends. They've told me the person, what they want to do, right. you know, whatever. But again, I just look at myself as more of, like, guideposts. Like, there's a broad range of things that you could do to make an amends for a harm, you know. And I'm just sort of some guideposts to make sure that, we're staying within what's going to be amends and what's, you know, either what's either too little, you know, right. like you're not really doing enough there. Maybe we need to kind of look at, you know, is that really all you want to do? Or are we going into some harm area where we're now we're causing more harm than any potential good? See, I don't think that our, our styles of sponsorship are too different. I, I guess maybe I just... The one underlying belief that I have that I think does separate us slightly is that I think people chose me for a reason, and that's because they want me, right? And so I don't feel any kind of problem about putting me into the sponsorship, right? I don't have any problem leaving my opinion, not about what they need to do in their life, but like, hey, this is how I feel about that kind of situation. This is the way I would live. This is the experience I have with trying to live that and how it worked out well or didn't. Um, and I think you might try to tend to be more even and, and like not put yourself in it so much. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. They picked me. They wanted me to fucking do, be here. <laughs> so, and, and this is kind of a general explanation of that. So I would say like when you look at life, you know, we look at life and for most people they grow up and they get older. It's funny. I just shared about this in my anniversary and it's similar here. <laughs> it's like we, we grow up and we get older and we get into high school or, you know, whatever, go to college. And we think, oh, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to get a career and get a wife and buy a house and have some kids and, you know, get a couple cars, maybe a vacation place out in, you know, the beach. And then, you know, then I'm arrived. That's life. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what we all do. That's, that's, living in America, uh, the American dream, so to speak. And then you do all those things and get all those things, and that's why I believe so many people at 45, 50 year old have fucking midlife crisis because they realize, wait a minute, 
this isn't really what I wanted to do. This isn't really what I envisioned for my dream life. I wanted to own a boat and live down in the Caribbean and sail around all the time, maybe work at some bars or work at a marina, and that sounds way more fun. Why did I sell myself this idea that what everyone else was telling me to do was the right way to go? Well, that isn't what I wanted to do at all. Um, and that's kind of how I look at sponsorship. My job isn't to give you what I think is good and what I think is right and what I think these values should be. Um, I have them if you want to hear them. I have no problem talking about them or telling them to you. Obviously, we sit here for hours and do a podcast and I never run out of shit to talk about. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like as a sponsor, my job is to help you figure out what those things are for you. Mm. You know, we did the sold all our stuff and traveled around the country in an RV and I loved it. But I understand that's not for everybody. You know, that's not there's a lot of people that would not find comfort in that and would find that difficult and just not what they want to do with their life and it doesn't make them right or me right or you know it's not about being right it's about i want to live a life that makes me happy you know that Mm. that hits my heartstrings it hits my you know spirit um and so you know my job as a sponsor is to help people figure what those things are for them yeah, the American dream is definitely the the dream of the pockets of the bankers and mortgage lenders, not the uh, not the people themselves. But I would say there's a certain amount of people that find so after traveling and coming back, like I can see now, there is a comfort. There's a a something to that. Like we've made the decision to get back into this, you know, buying a house and having a career and all that stuff. And I don't regret it, but I go into it with a different understanding now like these are choices now that i feel like i'm making based off of certain other values that i have for example you know we have these kids and there is some stability that comes with you know our kids being in a stable environment connected with school connected with certain people emotionally it was difficult for them i imagine it's something like military kids because we would go to an area they would meet some people make some friends we'd be there for three or four months and then we would leave And then they would have to reestablish, you know, make new friends, build those relationships again, and then we would leave. And that was difficult on our kids. Um, So being in an environment where they're connected with people on a regular basis and, and, you know, so there's just – we start to look at what are our values, how does this one sort of weigh in with that one. And, yes, I like traveling a lot more probably than they did, Um, but for right now – you know, I feel like I have a responsibility to my kids to give them some of that stability that I think is better for them. I mean, similar similar thing happened in my marriage. Like, I, I felt like it was what the American dream was. You grew up married, got kids, blah, blah, blah. And then I was miserable in it and, you know, thought it was a joke and why do people bother to do this? And then I left. But in leaving and some time apart, realized that, like, ultimately – when I came back, it was what I really wanted. And so it's a whole different thing to me now. And so it's not that marriage was the problem, but it was everybody selling me that it was the solution. That was the (laughs) fucking problem. Right. And I think that's where my issue with the American dream is not that there's anything wrong with owning a house or any of that stuff. It's just that we're sold that that's the way to go. And that bothers me like pick your own fucking route. And I agree where I disagree is that I say, I still think I'm special. 
right? I'm like, anybody could give the guideposts of do whatever's good for you, right? Like, yeah, and I agree. Do what's good for you, but these people sought me out for a reason, right? Like, they were guided to me from this higher power in the universe to hear my specific version of that for some reason, whether that's to hear it and be like, that guy's fucking crazy, I'm doing the opposite, or, yeah, that's what I want too, that sounds really cool. They could go get a generic version of that from anywhere, you know, and I, I don't know. I still hold on to my uniqueness, I guess. Yeah, and I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, I think that's part of the great thing of autonomy in our fellowship. This um, is. A- I have known some sponsors that are, I'm, I'm going to call it control. I mean, to me, it's controlling. I don't right. know another way to say it, but, and I don't mean that in a negative, but I know some sponsors that do the, you know, call me every day and you got to go into a recovery house and you got to work this step by this time or I'm not going to sponsor you anymore and you know there's there's all different ways of sponsorship and I don't necessarily think mine is better or worse I just know that you know what what works best for me is what I try to give to other people and that I mean I can tell you I connect with a certain kind of what I'd call spirit or a certain kind mm. of person there are certain people that I've sponsored that, I mean, you've probably had this experience too. You start to know pretty quick, oh, this isn't, we don't jive. <laughs> right. Like we don't, we don't connect in a good way. And it's nothing wrong with that person. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not trying or I'm not trying. It just, we're not at the same right. place. You know, <laughs> we're just, we're not the same. I'm going to copy and paste this next time we do a sponsorship episode, too. <laughs> this goes back to step nine. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, just to, to get back into the step. In our experience, making amends is a two-stage process. Not only do we make amends to the person we've harmed, we follow up on those amends with a serious change in our behavior. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Almost really a three-step process if you consider the fact that I'm sorry is a part of it, right? Like I know we we mentioned a lot, and I've heard over the years in meetings, it's not just saying I'm sorry, right? That's like what everybody seems to say. But I I have a weird experience of the opposite. Um, <clears throat> still in active addiction, I kept doing the same things. Like you said, meant I'm sorry, felt truly bad, but didn't have the capacity to change my behaviors whatsoever. And so there was this one particular time where I said. I just stood there feeling like the piece of shit that I really was living as at that moment, um, being caught by somebody stealing their stuff and didn't say I'm sorry because the rationale in my head was I I just feel like shit and I can't change it. And so why am I going to keep saying I'm sorry? I'm obviously not if I keep doing it, right? Even though I want to, I feel terrible about what my behavior, but I just can't change it. So why say I'm sorry? And I was called out on that, right? Uh, It was like, well, my father said, uh, you're not even going to say you're sorry. And I told him, I'm like, I, I just feel like I can't change it. Like, and so why keep saying I'm sorry about it? And he said, yeah, but at least then I feel like you're human. Oh. And I was like, ooh, that, that fucking hurt, right? And so we do say this thing about, you know, it's not just the I'm sorry, but it's also not just the amends either, right? It's It's also the... The meaningful apology to let people know that we do have a soul and we do care that we harm them. Yeah, and so I think saying I'm sorry is okay. And and I just started to look up. I'm like, I don't even know what the definition of I'm sorry or sorry is. Yeah. Well, and the way it's always been explained to me is that's the difference. 
you know, between just saying you're sorry, there or there is a difference between just saying you're sorry and making amends. Yes. I mean, most of the time in my life, I didn't want to hurt people. I wasn't, my intention wasn't to hurt people. My intention was to steal from you without you knowing, it, <laughs> right. you know, and intention then it, not, was just to it wasn't going to hurt anybody. Right. So I didn't intend to hurt anyone. So I was sorry that I was hurting them. I mean, and that was genuine. That was, that was real. Um, yeah. But I wasn't making an amends. You no. know what I mean? I was just saying I was sorry because once again, I didn't mean to hurt you. I know I've done it again, but I'm sorry I hurt you. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. If you and, would just give me $10 every day, I wouldn't have to hurt you. Well, and the other thing in there is we do say it's not just saying I'm sorry, which yes. means saying a sorry is a part of it. It You know, making an apology should be in there somewhere. You know, it's just it's not all that we're doing. We're not just making an apology. We're making an apology and then following that up with a change in behavior, a taking of responsibility, you know, whatever it is that needs to happen to finish out that amends. Yeah. To be fair, I have never heard anyone say don't apologize as part of your amends like that. That's never happened. I just always hear the emphasis put on the amends part. And and I get that. Like, we do need to hear that. It's just I guess that one unique experience I had has led me to, to know that, you know, both pieces are, are equally important in that amends yes. process. Um, another nice little thing that I read, living our amends is a process rather than a once and for all occurrence. Like this is not a, I don't think we ever get to check off that we made these amends, right? Like we get to make the restitution and the repayment for the harm we've done and try to repair it the best we can. But the amends process of not causing that harm again is lifelong. We don't ever get to like say we we finished right we we kind of sort of finished that piece of it where we you know helped that one person uh or or the one particular situation but we continue to live it for the rest of our lives yeah so just not to cut okay. off but to jump back so i looked up the definition of sorry and i was like wow both of these you could say a million times and it doesn't necessarily take away their definite you know the definition it says so feeling distressed, especially through sympathy with someone else's misfortune, or feeling regret or penitence. So I'm not sure what penitence means. Hmm. Yeah. But feeling regret. Like, oh yeah, I regretted getting caught a lot of times. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, but were we sorry for getting caught or were we sorry for we were sorry for hurting people? Yeah. But I guess that's from the getting we saw that as from getting caught. The actual harm was just in doing it. Yeah, well and that was the justification rationalization for a lot of that behavior is if I can do something to you and you don't know that I did it, if you never even notice that it happened, then fine. Like if I can if I can cheat in a relationship and you never know I cheated is there really any harm there, you know? And in my justification, it was, no. It's like if the tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? <laughs> right. And then as I get into recovery, I realize, oh, yeah, wait a minute. You know, that is a harm. There is a harm there. There's a disrespect. There's a lot of things. Like, just because you don't know about it doesn't mean there's not harm. Right. And so if you look up apology, it says a regretful acknowledgement of an offense or failure. And by that definition, I could say that every time because I regretted it. And, you know, I wanted to acknowledge it. I just didn't want to change it. So apology really doesn't have anything to do with changing your behavior. So sorry or apology is an acceptable response when you cause harm to someone else. We just hope we take that to the next level and follow that up with right. with corrective action or, you know, taking responsibility. 
Yeah, it, it does say, you know, and we've mentioned this already, most of us find making amends for the damage we did in intimate relationships is extremely uncomfortable. Uh, once again, the three R's of the amends process, in case anybody liked that, resolution, restoration, restitution. So you're trying to find a resolution for the situation so it doesn't have to go on and on in your head or in the world. Uh, you want to try to restore whatever harm was done, restore it back to its previous form before the harm was caused to the best of your ability. And restitution is usually how we, you know, pay things back that were, were done to people or taken from people. Um, you know, we do want to be careful not to make amends out of order. We've talked about that a little bit. It's the step nine for a reason. Do the other eight first. Uh, work them with a sponsor because it's scary to do them by yourself. Um it's about really all I got. There's a couple more readings here I could give, but they you know, read the books yourself and you'll hear all of them. You got anything else you're thinking about for step nine? Um, the only thing, and we may have covered this, but I feel like maybe covering it just a little bit more, maybe for uh, the earth people or people not in 12 steps is the idea of the direct and indirect amends. Mm. Um, in Cause we seem to know what that means automatically right um in recovery we talk about you know making direct amends or indirect amends whereas the direct amends would be the going directly to the person you know taking ownership making you know an apology and then following that up with some action that you're going to follow through on you know based off what the harm is if i stole from you it might be repaying you for the value of what you had if you know something mm -hmm. like that um Whereas indirect amends is more of a, we don't necessarily go to that person and say these things out loud. We don't go to them and rehash old wounds or bring up, hey, remember 20 years ago when, you know, this thing happened and I'm sorry. Um, it's more of a case where we might still try to take responsibility, but we try to fix that through future actions, through... Uh, you know, I don't know, as we talked about with the, the family thing, it might be, you know, I was terrible to some of my family, so now I make it a point to, to go to family reunions, to keep in contact with some family members, to show up for birthday parties, whatever, you know, where you're not necessarily going to go to every single family member and say, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't show up for these things, or like, I don't know if we talked about it on here, but I shared a story of me, uh, like I skipped out on it. I was graduating high school. My family had a graduation party and I went and I got the gifts and then I left in the middle of my own graduation party, you know, two or three hours in. Once I got the money and the stuff, I left and went and started getting high with all my friends. And so I don't necessarily need to go like I probably couldn't even figure out the list of people that was actually there to go to each individual family member and say, hey, remember my graduation party and I cut out and what an asshole and, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, I might not necessarily do that, but what I do now is try to show up for these things, try to show up, yeah, somebody's party, I'm going to show up, might be a little inconvenient for me, but I'm trying to uh, be a better person, to take responsibility for that harm and to show some respect to show some admiration for those people for showing up for me. Yeah, and this is uh, the immense process. I mean, there's a, a billion blogs and podcasts and, and people that talk about, you know, all the different ways we can do these amends and, and how to make them. And, and I think it's really a time to let our creativity as humans and, mm -hmm. and I don't know, uh, people who have dealt with addiction for whatever reason seem to be really creative and, and intelligent people. And so 
this is the time we can let that shine, right? Like, did you seriously do harm to one of your grandparents and they, you know, passed before you got clean and were able to make amends? Well, maybe this is the time you can write a heartfelt letter and then maybe volunteer your time at a, you know, senior community center in your neighborhood or, or, you know, at least donate money or something to some, like there's so many different ways to come up with, you know, creatively repairing the harm specifically that you caused in life. And it's a, just interesting. It gives us an opportunity to, to do this. Yeah, and that's I think back to the importance of a sponsor in this process. Like the importance of a sponsor in this process is to help us identify like what areas might cause some harm, you know, and are going to need more of an indirect amends. Which areas are going to be more of a direct amend? You know, helping helping us figure out you know the the best way to make amends in those process like that's where i think a sponsor helps and then just like you said having some creative ways or some different ways or or different uh ideas on how to make in some of these amends right so what else are you thinking about uh can you just live dirty up until you get to step nine because you're not on the amends yet (laughs) um well, again, back for me personally, like after going through that first round, I mean, I probably did right. indirectly. I think six helps a lot with some of that. Yes. <laughs> so once you get into six and seven, hopefully a lot of the behavior started to be corrected. Obviously, well, I can't say obviously. For me personally, certain things seemed to just fix themselves when I got clean. Um, I tended to be a lot less of a liar. I tended to be able to show up for things a little bit better. I tended to stop stealing, um, at least as much, you know. So some things started to kind of fix themselves directly from uh, getting out of that lifestyle and getting out of using. Um, But other behaviors still linger in my life, you know. (laughs) I still have shortcomings and things that I, I add to an amends list. Um, or that will need to go on future amends list, that it's not a thing that we do, at least for me. It's not a thing that I do once in my recovery. It's important that I go back through the steps, work through these things again. Yeah, I've heard people, because, spoiler alert for step 10, you know, we're supposed to kind of do this inventory daily of ourselves and where we've maybe gone wrong or done something we didn't like and kind of fix it as soon as possible rather than like waiting for the next time through the steps. And so I've heard people say that they don't really have to do a nine again if they're doing 10 again. That's not my goddamn experience. I I don't know. I don't know that I do 10 well enough that I don't ever do nine again. Like I'm always going to be making amends somewhere along the way. Yeah. I don't know. So I think that's about what we got on step nine. Uh, Thinking about next week, get your crucifixes and holy water. We got somebody from Celebrate Recovery coming on, and I am probably going to offend them somehow. <laughs> I hope not. I, it's our buddy that we talked to on on uh, some of our social media, and he's got a podcast, and we'll talk to him and, and find out more about the Celebrate Recovery program, which I don't know a whole lot about. I think I do, but I really don't. Um, and so that'll be fun, and, and I'm going to – try to be on better behavior so I'm not offensive because I don't want to offend him. He's, he's a really nice guy. It's not my goal, but it is possible he will be on a, a step eight list. And maybe, just maybe, my desire to stop cursing is God working in my life to make it more comfortable for the Celebrate Recovery guy. I don't know that he's offended by cursing. I'm going <laughs> to ask him right on air. As a Celebrate Recovery, no, um, well, Mike, I've been to some Celebrate Recovery meetings, and at least the couple that I've been to, language is an issue. 
I would I would imagine, yeah. No, I would imagine it is. I just don't know if it, he's uncomfortable with others oh. cursing. But maybe he is. Maybe he's offended highly. I don't think I've heard any on his podcast. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I would anyway. imagine he doesn't curse. No, he may I, not. Yeah, pretty sure he doesn't feel a need to correct everyone else's behavior. Oh, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for joining us this week. We'd love to hear any ninth step stories you have. Feel free to contact us. You know all the ways: the the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I think right through the Anchor website, you can even leave like a voice message for us. Nobody's nice. done that yet, but I can't wait to. Somebody's going to say some dumb shit on there one day. I, I can't wait. I'm going to put it right in the podcast. They'll be like, we got this voice message. Um, so, yeah, reach out with that. And if you did have any real specific questions about Celebrate Recovery, the plan is to talk to him next week. So, hopefully, that goes through and uh, we'll see you again then. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with people you think might benefit from the conversation. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation also and share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear it.